Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition and helps you create a life by design. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and today with me, I have my good friend, Sam Miller, better known as Sam Miller Science, one of the most intelligent friends I have in the space, and he has been on this podcast multiple times. So you guys may have heard an episode with him. If not, we will link those in descriptions. You can check out previous episodes. Uh, He has actually came on the show and even interviewed me. So we have been good friends for a long time, which made this conversation extremely easy to have. And I find in the podcast space, it's always nice when you can have a conversation about these kind of topics because you can really just shoot the shit and go back and forth to, to cover more ground, especially with something like the metabolism, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Because Sam just recently came out with a book called Metabolism Made Simple. It is now available. You can click the link in the description, visit his site and get a copy of this. And I highly recommend it because there's really no other book like this in the space. Most books go so far over complicating things um, or just diving so deep into the science because it's a textbook. And that's what I mean by overcomplicating. It's, it's not necessarily overcomplicated, but it's written for somebody in a college classroom setting, not for the average coach or person just looking to lose weight or figure out how to master their metabolism and their own personal health. So if you are somebody who is a coach coaching people looking to master their health and their own nutrition, or you are a client yourself trying to just learn more about your body, your hormones, your metabolism, and figure out how to do this stuff the right way, this book is perfect for you because it is not going to go over your head. It's going to really kind of bring things down to the base level and describe and explain the metabolism and everything that is involved in working your metabolism the right way in a really easy to understand way. So we're going to actually go through the book today. We're going to cover some of the content uh, in the table of contents, kind of like chapter by chapter explaining what's in the book and then pulling apart some of the key concepts and things that I think you'll benefit from and diving a little bit deeper into those conversations with Sam Miller. So again, you can click the link in the description of this episode and head to his site and grab you, uh, yourself a copy of Metabolism Made Simple. And, and again, I cannot recommend this enough because there's really no other books like this in the space. Before we get into the episode, quick shout out to the number one sponsor of this podcast, ourselves. Tailored Coaching Method, if you are interested in coaching, if you need your training or nutrition designed specifically for you to get the best results possible, please head to tailoredcoachingmethod.com slash online dash coaching or click the link in the description of this episode. You can apply for a free strategy call today. Now, without any further ado, let's talk to the one and only Sam Miller Science. All right, Sam Miller on the podcast for the 278th time. Uh, I'm very excited to have you back, bro. Uh, it's been a while since I've actually seen your face. We text. We I know. What I seen I, last face. time I saw you was probably April, probably April in Austin. Yeah, it probably was. feels longer, though. I know you miss me. Yeah, I do miss you, man. I miss. I think uh, it's a third or fourth time, too. I know you rag on me because I'm here a lot, but... It's only because we have good conversations. All right, it's definitely not uh, two hundred something, uh, but you're you're up there and one of the the most repetitive guests, which says a lot, obviously, and you have a lot of value to give. And I think uh, we're definitely gonna do that today, man. So I'm excited about this um, for a couple reasons. Number one, I'm excited to promote your book because I'm proud of you for coming out of the book. Number two, kind of jealous. I want a book, um, <laughs> like a legit book. It's on my bucket list and it is coming eventually. Uh, but I think this is a topic that uh, I mean, you know this better than anybody, but it gets so confused by so many people and the word metabolic or metabolism gets thrown out in so many different ways, 75% of the time, which is inaccurate. So I'm excited to kind of like lay down the foundation of the basics for people and then kind of get into some of the details. Um, and, and for those listening, 
if you were able to see, uh, obviously I got my hands on the book before it launched, but um, if you were able to see the table of contents right now in front of you, you would know that there's just, we'd have to do five podcasts in order to get everything in there. So there's so much context in there, which I'm excited for people to see because you went a different path. And I think too, that there's something to say about uh, the style of writing. Like I really like, as I was kind of reading through some of it, I like the way it's not too textbooky. Like you actually have relative things that you're bringing into the discussion about. Um, like I was laughing when you were talking about um, kombucha and everything, and then you brought Hippocrates into it when you were talking about gut health in there. Uh, so the style of writing makes it really easy to digest, which I appreciate. But um, first and foremost, man, like what was the, what was the reason you want to do this? Like, what do you want people to get out of, out of this book when they read it? I think the biggest thing that you and I have both experienced this coming up in the health and fitness industry is like compared to just about any other industry, it's filled with so much misinformation. And then even the good information that's out there is often misapplied, right? So things are taken out of context or no context is provided whatsoever. There's no nuance in the conversation. And kind of like you mentioned, a lot of the books are either they're a textbook about like biochemistry, nutrition, and metabolism, or it's here's my diet book with a meal plan at the end, or it's like, I'm selling a product or program. Nobody has that I can, from what I can really tell, um, I haven't really seen a book approached. So in, in business, you have essentially like thought leadership books, right? Like you can learn about how to think about a particular problem or leverage certain skills related to marketing or sales or, you know, finance. And so I think with nutrition and metabolism, especially, we really lose sight of those critical thinking skills and how to apply tools, methods, frameworks to a variety of situations. Because, you know, you and I could work with the same clients and what works when they're 27 might be different than when they're 32 from when they're 44. And so really what's more important is having a foundational understanding of like, hey, this is kind of how the body is adaptive and malleable. And then we use the appropriate tools, frameworks, methods at our disposal to like create and cultivate the best approach for us at that time. So I can't say there was really one particular overarching reason why I wrote the book, but I could definitely share some of my past uh, frustrations with our industry as a whole. Um, and similar to you, it was just kind of one of those bucket list items. I felt it was important. And I do spend a lot of time nowadays on more of the uh, continuing education for health professionals. And this is much more of a mainstream book. Uh, and I wanted something to be out there for people who are regular consumers, just health enthusiasts, people who just need a little bit of help, a little bit of information and to help them make sense of things, just really connect the dots, maybe have a few light bulb moments and hopefully kind of set them on their way with kind of a new path there. So that was super important to me because it's something I wish I had like over a decade ago. And, and I know we've both kind of had that similar experience. Yeah, man, I couldn't agree more. I actually think that, like, I was sitting here trying to think of what other books might have attempted to tackle the same thing, and there's just none. There's, like, nutrition books, but there's none that are, like, specific to the metabolism like this, and the only one I can even think of, it's not really selling it, but it kind of is, like, in a way, it's basically like a protocol, right? It's the, uh, I want to say it's called, like, How to Heal Your Metabolism or something, and it basically shows you, like, signs of a, a, a low thyroid and then like follow this diet and it like, right. you know, you can pull some things out of it, but I think in the wrong hands, people can get misguided because everything is speaking in such absolutes per person that where you're able to, I don't know, teach it in a way that's more, like you said, malleable to the, to the younger coach or to the individual who just wants a little, know a little bit more. Right. Um, 
I'm also excited about getting into some of the nitty gritty with you today because I think that one of the issues we see, and and I'm assuming, you know, you know, you can kind of go into defining what metabolism actually is after I say this, but uh, I think that this like scapegoat of it's just calories coming from so many, you know what I mean? That's always just the answer for everybody. And it's so important for people to understand that there is more than just calories. And it's not because calories don't matter because they probably do matter the most, but there's so many things that affect how your body handles those calories, the, the amount of calories you need, the, the amount of calories you need to pull or put back into the diet, depending on the phase. And I think people just use that as a way to get away without educating themselves or knowing it. Right. You don't really have to have the more in-depth nuanced conversations are hard. They're challenging and creating context around education and a frame in your delivery is very hard. You know, it requires uh, a little bit of tack there. And if you think about it, we're really the only industry that we don't provide a ton of context around a unit of measurement. I was actually Mm -hmm. on a podcast, you know, a week or so ago and the individual who was hosting the podcast, he's into running and things like that. And I was like, well, you know, if you were going to run a mile, you'd want to know the difference if you were like running up Mount Everest when it's snowing versus like, Hey, it's sunny in Kansas and you're going to go run a mile and it's flat. You just grab your, your running shoes and some shorts. So in, in the instance of looking at distance, when we look at so many other things, like if you were talking to someone who's a general contractor and they're helping you with your house, you know, they're going to use like inches or they're going to like define things in very particular ways. And we see these different personalities, I would say in the fitness industry talking about calories. And it's like, yeah, sure. Energy is super important. In fact, I spend like an entire chapter of the book, literally talking about energy availability. And, you know, but I also talk about stress because really metabolism is especially perceptive to both stress and energy. They're both important pillars of metabolism. And like you said, a lot of consumers, they kind of have this I would say like kind of antiquated viewpoint of, you know, in elementary school, when you're little, you hear someone say like, oh, well, that person just never gains weight. They're so skinny. They have a fast metabolism, right? Or you think about the kid who's maybe, you know, maybe they got a few extra pounds that maybe they're a little bit overweight or heavy said, and and they're said to have a slow metabolism rather than thinking, okay, well, my metabolism is responding to my choices, my behaviors, you know, whether I resistance train, whether I go for a walk, what my, you know, my macros or calories are. Um, and also, you know, things like micronutrition and, and gut health as well. So we really need to integrate all of these in the conversation. And if we're going to talk about calories, that's totally fine. Like I'm not the person who's going to say like, Hey, you don't need to you know, track your portions or anything like that. But I just think we need to have a little bit of, uh, context around that unit of measurement. And that's one of the reasons I even unpack that for, you know, probably a whole chapter is literally where did this even come from, right? Which came from physics and thermodynamics and then got carried over in like the late 1800s, early 1900s. And now you see we're, we're using this, we've got my fitness pal and chronometer and all these different tracking tools, but we kind of have to rewind and think like, okay, really, what are we doing? We're like quantifying energy. And, uh, that's just such an important part of even thinking about the definition of metabolism in the first place. So this, this is kind of like turning a little bit, but it makes me think of like when you were saying like, there's a, you know, you respectfully said a fat kid who thinks his metabolism is slow, <laughs> but um, we think of like uh, somatotypes and then there's the people that are like, Oh, it's just my genetics. And I even like went down a rabbit hole of trying to like research more of the, find more of the studies on the obesity gene. Cause there is one. And even most of that research shows that, yes, there is one, but it's not going to actually stop you from losing weight. It just means you probably have a worse off starting point. But I started really thinking, is it 
is it that or is it more of epigenetics? Like if your parents were fat and your grandparents were fat, was it just that like the lineage of poor lifestyle choices? Because people would have looked at me and been like, oh, he's an endomorph. And then see me a decade later, be like, you're definitely a mesomorph. You know, you've got a fast metabolism. It's like, no, I changed my lifestyle and my metabolism responded to that. And I think a lot of research has moved away from the somatotypes and looks at there's different metabolic phenotypes now. I know they've moved away from that. I don't want the podcast to get like super off topic, but just in terms of even looking at that, right? I think it sort of ingrains a fixed mindset for individuals of like, mm-hmm. I have this label, like this is what I am. Yeah. And I actually did a rant on this the other day around coaches who are like interested in genetic testing, but don't understand physiology or biochemistry because it's like your environment, your choices, and your current metabolic status quo, that is the physiology. Physiology is like literally the epigenetic expression of what's going on. Like I could look at Cody's serum labs and see, well, based on his behaviors, the expression of those genes, literally the epigenetics is like, you know, so much is in that physiology. Mm -hmm. So as much as you might want to know, like, oh, what SNPs do I have and what my genetics are? And, you know, it could be helpful. Let's say you meet, you know, you have the C677T allele, I think it is for MTHFR. Yeah, we maybe want to supplement with like a B complex and do some things to support methylation because you have a predisposition maybe for some certain deficiencies. That's totally fine. But I think that's very different than being like, oh, well, I have this. So like I can't lose weight or this is going to impact my mental health. And it's more like that's a starting point and a blueprint. But then what happens after that is, you know, largely impacted by your environment and your choices. So that's why I didn't really include a huge like nutrigenomics section in this particular metabolism book, because I don't know that that really serves people in getting to where they want to go. Um, and so I took kind of a different approach there rather than spending a ton of time, like unpacking that aspect. Yeah, I agree. And I'm glad you didn't. Cause I think that's so true. And, and even with like the whole, like people with scapegoat of, Oh, it's just calories. People will use that as like, Oh, you just need a bigger deficit. And, and I always, like there's times where I will say you do need a bigger deficit, but like, let me tell you why. And let me make sure that that's the right decision you want to make because there's, there's so much more to it. And, um, I know further, I looked at a placebo study on the aerobic gene and they basically just lied to people said, you don't have it and you do have it. And the people who didn't think they had it, but actually had it, their test scores on aerobic tests went down. So the aerobic fitness lowered because they perceived themselves as somebody who wasn't good at aerobic fitness. So like you said, if we fill your brain with you are this label, like, and it just even, even from a, a, a psychological perspective can change the outcome. Like why do that? It just doesn't serve people. But, um, to, to bring us back to what we're here to talk about within the book, um, let's start, even though we already started just quick definition of metabolism so people can understand. Cause I think sometimes people even get that wrong. Like what is like, if you're trying to talk to somebody who knows nothing about this stuff or is very new trainer, anything like that, new, new coach, how are you defining the metabolism to them? So really I start with two pillars, stress and energy, and thinking of it as kind of this miser or um, it's essentially a regulator of both stress and energy. So if stress in the environment increases and let's say energy decreases, right? In the case of a diet and maybe someone who has some perceived lifestyle stress going on, that essentially creates um, you know, sort of this burden for your body to deal with. Now I, I kind of define it at length a little bit more in the book, but really those are the two principles we need to consider. Metabolism is kind of just in a way, the way that I've sort of looked at it over the years is largely a reflection of our adaptive physiology. If we were to think about like science, that's, that's largely what we're thinking about is like, how is our body surviving, um, really 
two of the most important things, which is if we had an environment that was threatening to us or we didn't have enough food available, that would be bad, right? We wouldn't be able to continue to survive as humans. Um, but then again, we didn't necessarily have situations like the Western world, standard American diet, insulin resistance, overeating, hyperpalatable foods, Uber eats, order up, like literally being able to like order something on your smartphone and have it show up at your door. We didn't necessarily have um, that at our disposal. So really we have to think about first, like, let's look at it from kind of a, I even almost hate this term now. Cause I feel like a lot of people have sort of bastardized it, but like kind of the ancestral origin of it. But in reality, um, a lot of that has really stayed the same. What's changed around us is in our, our environment and the food that we have available. So, um, I really just first starting out that definition is metabolism essentially is a reflection of both stress and energy. You could think of it as a miser of that. I've heard people talk about it as a thermostat or kind of a barometer in that sense. Um, I do like that aspect because it incorporates the negative feedback that exists with a lot of the hormones in our body. So I think that's super important. And then from there, we can begin to think about, you know, the different tools and frameworks that you and I talked about before hopping on the podcast in terms of metabolism. Um, as far as, you know, it's hard to have like a one sentence definition because a lot of people would just say, Hey, these are the chemical reactions in your body that are like, if you opened a textbook, right? Like, and literally we could go to like, you know, Wikipedia or whatever, and you type in metabolism, and what it's probably going to tell you is the process by which your body converts what you eat and drink into energy um, would be like the Mayo Clinic definition, right? Or sustaining chemical reactions of organisms. And I was like, that doesn't really like help someone, right? Um, and it's actually, it's funny that I actually typed this in while we're on this uh, Zoom recording for this podcast. Cause you just see like, people also ask, is a high metabolism good? How do you do, how do you lose weight metabolism? What is what is, uh, you know, what are the three types of metabolism? And I think that that's really why I wanted to look at it more as, hey, this is a concept and there are multiple pillars within this concept. And then we have tools to manage what it is, right? Um, when really it's essentially just a stress and energy regulator. So knowing that, I want to start kind of going into the things that actually affect it, like outside of obviously what we've already kind of touched on, anything that you want to elaborate on, obviously. And I'm going to kind of just throw out some main ones if you want to just tackle one at a time, or I know some yeah. of them can kind of bleed into each other. That's why I don't want to necessarily pigeonhole you into one topic per thing. Um, but I do, I think that's a good, a good definition. I think it gives people kind of the foundation um, to start kind of thinking more than just exercise or calories, right? There's more to it. Um, and I really, really Those like, like subcomponents of that, right? Because you could think of, you know, exercise is like a hormetic stressor, right? right? Or food provides energy. Uh, exercise also expends energy. That's why we we do exercise and we increase our TDE. So those concepts are mentioned in the book for sure in terms of calories and energy regulation, but they're also going to be very integrated to those, you know, other concepts as well. But the stress and adaptation talk, I think is what people really need to, because even with the exercise, yes, it does. But let's say you do something that is exercise dominant, that does increase your metabolism, your total daily energy transfer, but you keep doing that week after week after week after week. Is it still having that same effect? Or as you adapt, is that changing? And I think that's kind of, correct me if I'm wrong, but what you kind of get into more is all those adaptive processes that people need to understand so that they can right. have a framework to be able to navigate this properly. For sure. Yeah, we do talk about the adaptive process a lot and a lot of research around that. Um, even looking at like Herman Ponzer from Duke, uh, there's another researcher at Loyola that essentially compared like women in the Western world to tribal countries and non-exercise activity and the degree to which our body sort of adapts to that movement stimulus over time. So both nutrition and exercise 
you know, and this is why I refer to coaches as adaptation managers a lot. Um, and why metabolism is so malleable is it's literally, you know, we're essentially responding to these different sort of stimuli or stimulus. And as a result of that, um, you know, that creates adaptation, right? We think about training, we think about resistance training, we're doing that to create an adaptation, which is building muscle. When we think about a calorie deficit, you're doing that to create the adaptation of fat loss. But a lot of people lose sight of managing that adaptation and they're just chasing, well, XYZ influencer said calorie deficit, bro. So like, I just got to do that and not thinking about the co consequences of, well, your body is down regulating energy expenditure based on the stimulus that you just created. So you've got to be like a step ahead, knowing that that's going to happen. And that's why one of the key sort of M's, you know, in terms of those five M's of like managing metabolism or laws of metabolism, you know, we think about mitigating adaptation, right? That was one of the things that you talked about um, earlier on when we were hopping on is related to things like thyroid and sex hormones and, and things like that. So we have to understand when we pursue an energy deficit, our body's natural transient response is a down regulation in hormones. And that's just a byproduct of the choices that we are making, which is to reduce um, energy consumption, or in other words, like we have less food coming in, less macros coming in, but that's going to bleed into another area, which is typically when you're consuming less calories, when you pursue it, pursue an energy deficit, unless you're really intentionally supplementing or making very specific food choices, a lot of people run into micronutrient deficiencies. So that's why I have a whole little section on that as well, because that's going to impact metabolism. And then we look at something like selenium and zinc, that's going to impact, you know, thyroid health. Uh, so people kind of have certain blind spots in this like fervent pursuit of the deficit. And then they lack seasonality in their approach, which is where you and I would use the word like nutritional periodization. But I really think looking at like seasons of our nutrition is very important. Even the greatest athletes in the world, right? They have on season, off season, maybe, you know, we could use that for someone at the Olympics or we could use it for the NFL, right? We all have sort of these seasons, two things. Um, and that's really just because of the fact that our body is adapting to the choices that we're making. And that really gets lost in like a lot of the calorie conversation, but also just, you know, nutrition and training in general. Yeah. I, I love, I love that, man. Cause I think so many people, and it is because of like social media and stuff like that, they focus so much on just the calories and it, and to an extent for some people it's a relief cause like, Oh, it's just calories that matters. It's easier. But the problem is, is if you're using a calorie deficit to try to accomplish a goal, you're probably going to have a, not only a healthier fat loss approach, but a much easier time getting it done and not adapting too quickly. If you're taking care of all these little things that also affect the metabolism, which is so powerful yeah. about this book is breaking those down. Now, um, as we get into the things that affect, this is kind of the next thing I want to dive into is the different aspects that actually affect our metabolism, just so we can continue breaking it down in simple terms. We've already kind of touched on calories uh, and how the calories affect it, but you can expand on that if you want. Otherwise, I would say we can kind of go into uh, macros and each individual macro, how each one plays a role, if any play a larger role, so on and so forth. And then we'll kind of move down the ladder to, to micros and, and the rest of the, the list. For sure. Yeah. So energy is kind of its own chapter. So we do talk about calories as far as macros, I mainly spend time unpacking, you know, protein, its contribution, both from a thermic effect perspective, but it also really comprises a huge section of the managing uh, appetite and maximizing adherence. Because if you're hungry all the time, you're going to have a really hard time sticking with your protocol. And protein is a great way to increase satiety uh, while also driving up your thermic effect of food. So because I still do include a TDE equation in there, I just want people to understand how things are sort of contributing. Now, fats and carbs largely going to be based off activity level and personal preferences. So that is kind of the macro portion that I do get into. While we do have certain essential fatty acids, omega-3 fatty acids that we want to include in the diet, um, 
really the carbs and fats discussion is also centered around your activity, your movement of choice, and your current sort of metabolic status quo or health, right? So if someone has a really hard time with hunger and cravings and they're having blood sugar swings and all sorts of different sort of symptoms or lethargy after meals, well, we might want to adjust their carbohydrate intake at certain meals. If someone, uh, you know, maybe was on a very low fat diet for a period of time, maybe we're increasing fat just to get some essential fatty acids in. It's important for uh, overall health, hormone production, joints, you know, the list goes on uh, your brain, obviously. So really the macros, it's really about framing the conversation of like, Hey, well, we're consuming energy, but really what contributes to the energy in the diet, right? So protein, four calories per gram, carbs, four calories per gram, fat, nine calories per gram. So once we understand where that energy is coming from, then we think about the tools for actually, you know, managing adaptation and thinking about, okay, within this food that I'm eating, what else is it doing? What, what strategy is being deployed in my nutritional decision-making and how do I kind of make sense of all of this? And that's really where I get more into, you know, kind of, uh, maximizing adherence, mitigating adaptation, managing appetite, being mindful of your micros, and then the maximizing absorption portion as well. Um, so the macros conversation, I won't say that I really approach that like incredibly uniquely, like protein is still protein. Carbs are still carbs. Fats are still fats. It's really more to lay the groundwork of regardless of whether I go and I have, it's funny because you always talk about like sweet potato and pop tarts. Mm -hmm. I catch you on, but we both do that all the time. But you know, whether you have, um, you know, when you have that sweet potato and let's say you have some like steak or something with that, yes, that's calorie containing, but how is that affecting your subsequent meal choices and your ability to kind of stick with things over time? And then also, you know, if you're not absorbing it or your, you know, your stomach hurts or you're bloated or you're uncomfortable, well, that's not great either. That's going to affect your training and maybe even your sleep, uh, quality of life. You're not going to feel good. Uh, that may even lead to lethargy and stuff too. So I kind of zoom out of like, okay, we're making these food choices and these food choices have energy, but what actually makes something sustainable? What makes something, uh, you know, kind of realistic long-term what actually manages appetite based on research and anecdotal experience as a coach. And that's where you can start to think of these foods as tools to actually help you accomplish whatever your goal is and actually work with your metabolism rather than oh, well, you know, I have a slow metabolism because of my genetics and I eat these foods and, you know, calorie deficit, blah, 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 blah. So I think it's, yes, we do need to pay attention to the energy deficit or increase in energy, but what, you know, adaptation is happening and how do we actually stick with something long enough to ensure that that actually happens? So if it's a fat loss phase, maybe I'm picking very particular foods to kind of address that and sort of maintain uh, my health in the process. Do you think that Part of the reason why uh, a lot of people refer to research that just shows macros don't matter, hit your calories, protein, you're going to lose weight, is because in regards to metabolism and everything, it's a lot of indirect things because I think of, and I could think of this for both a higher carb, lower fat and a, a higher fat, lower carb approach. But if a higher carb approach helps an athlete recover or helps somebody manage stress better or gets their neat increased because of something, or it digests better with them, like all these things have a trickle effect that then lead into, it's kind of like the whole epigenetics thing again, right? It's something that is influencing the, the main thing. So like we do these studies and they're just like, nope, it's just calories. But if we went down the rabbit hole of an individual instead of like a big average, we probably yeah. would see differences. And there was a recent study on that as well, where they had people follow, you know, an energy restricted approach and then gave them access to a vending machine afterwards. And they were allowed to, it was like ad libitum consumption. And what was interesting is this, the study duration was very short and the, unfortunately the population size in the study 
would have been nice if it was a little bit larger. But the good thing is it was human research. There was energy restriction and they allowed them to essentially eat after. The food choices were very different in that subsequent feeding phase after uh, that level of control. I think the first portion was done in a metabolic ward. So very tightly controlled energy intake and then allowed them to essentially have access to this vending machine after. And so if you look at satiety cues and things that would impact your adherence, as well as like, you know, not just that one meal decision, not just that first few weeks of dieting, but like, what are you actually doing long-term? And that's where I think we're going to start to see some of the difference differences if they explore it with nutrition research. Um, you know, I do agree that because, you know, carbs and fats are energy containing. Yeah. Well, if we control for protein, we control for calories. Well, yeah, you can make progress that that's fair. I think what we need to figure out is like, does that influence someone's subsequent food choices? If it is influencing performance, like you said, in the athlete who eats more carbs, well, that 5% or 2% or 7%, that compounds over time, even if, yeah, they could have lost weight on like a high fat, low carb diet. But if they're a CrossFitter and it's glycolytic activity, like that just doesn't make sense. Right. So just because that's where it's like, I do try to mix the research in to create some, you know, evidence base for the conversation, but then have the nuance to say, well, we have also have to understand a, co a combination of research mechanism in the trenches experience and like how people actually respond to these things. Because just like when we talk about fasting, well, you could use fasting as a tool for calorie restriction, but if it leads you to overeating, then it's, it didn't actually lead to energy restriction, right? It's like you're following time-restricted eating or intermittent fasting, but you didn't actually accomplish what it is that you set out to do, which is like, where the autophagy benefits and a lot of things come from is from the energy restrictions. It's like, cool, you skip breakfast, but your lunch was twice as big yeah. and your dinner turned into like a four course meal that really wasn't successful. And so that's why I think you have to look at both meal by meal decisions, but also like those kind of seasons of life um, and the goals you're trying to accomplish as opposed to just success on a given check-in or a given week and, and how it's impacting someone moving forward. So like in that study with the vending machine, yeah, we're not following them around after the study, but what's happening, you know, for these individuals and how does something like, you know, insulin resistance or leptin resistance or, you know, impaired hunger and satiety cues and glycemic regulation, like impact that person's long-term success. It's playing a role somewhere. Um, and, and calories and protein are just one way to start helping that person. But I think there's a bigger conversation of like, we can still take that a layer further to figure out what's best for you so that you don't like ultimately end up back where you started yeah and it's important too that people understand that all of these things that could be impaired or adapted they're heightened from the deficit so this is even why like a lot of the bodybuilders who do just do calories and protein that's usually like off season right like right that's a great maintenance approach but as soon as you step into a deficit the potential for hormones to be compromised the potential for uh certain fats to be more influential or certain carbs to be more influential on your thyroid or, or vice versa on sex hormones um all these things increase your hunger cues, all those things change a lot. Right. So I think it's more important to focus on the depth in these detailed aspects when you're in yeah. that deficit. And so, that study population was actually more like overweight, obese individuals who are like insulin resistant. So the exact opposite of like a dieter or bodybuilder, right. but I think it's important to understand. And what's interesting too, right. Is people talk about hormonal adaptations on the way down. Um, and depending on what part of the fitness bubble you're in and where you're working, we largely see, you know, we see a lot of chronic dieters, people who overexercise a lot, they're not eating enough food. And so then people talk about reverse dieting. It's like, wow, that works really great. Um, but it's because of the percentage of individuals who it's because of what they were doing prior, right? Mm -hmm. It's like the exercise approach they were following previously and the diet they were following previously is what made that work. It's why the stimulus 
like led to this new adaptation where they saw an improvement from the reverse diet. Whereas in that study example, it's like, well, if that person's been overeating, over consuming energy, et cetera, and they're really struggling with adherence and other things, it's like, we just have adaptation in the other direction. The adaptation just happens to be insulin resistance. So we really, this is all a spectrum or like a dimmer dial rather than a light switch. It's like on one end we have you know, the metabolically adapted chronic dieter individual with downregulated thyroid, et cetera. And we ended up at dysfunction because of their choices. We have kind of the status quo is like, if we existed in a vacuum and we were like the textbook example of maintenance, cal all we ever did was like maintenance calories and lift three days a week, right? Like think of that client, Cody, cause you're, you're like smiling as we're recording this. Cause you're like, yeah, that's very, 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 very rare. And then on the other side, we have an individual who maybe, yeah, maybe they did grow up a few pounds overweight, maybe, maybe not super active. Maybe they weren't educated on their food choices, didn't understand calories and portion control, um, maybe followed a standard American diet. You know, that person moves more towards insulin resistance and a lot of the other metabolic health issues that we have. So that's where it's kind of like, I wanted the book to serve as tools and a framework for either direction. I didn't want to write a book just for chronic dieters who need a reverse diet. And I didn't want to just write a book for people who are overweight and need to lose weight um, or the person that maintenance calories that's already training. We need, we need to understand concepts that are going to apply to both, um, which is why I was kind of like moving through those. Um, and yes, different food choices, I think, depending on where you're at, whether that's the bodybuilder or the dieter, et cetera, um, you know, the level of stress that you're putting on your body and the degree to which you are experiencing some of these adaptations and, and going through calorie restriction intentionally, um, I think places a greater importance on the food choice, because when you have a smaller, smaller calorie budget to work with, well, that food choice plays in a more important role in terms of adherence because you don't have a ton of food to work with. Um, you're not eating a ton of calories. So we have to make intelligent micronutrient dense choices. Otherwise we're not going to hit our micros. Um, the body's already under stress. We have sympathetic activation from dieting. So that's already going to impact things like sleep and recovery and probably our gut health too. So like better make some good food choices. Otherwise we're going to exacerbate that problem as well. Um, so I just, I, I don't know that we can have the, you know, a lot of times, fitness conversations. I feel like these things are happening in silos, but I'm like, but what about this? And then also when you make, you know, it's like you try to solve for one problem or you try to talk about one thing, but it opens up this other door that you have to consider and walk through, uh, because that's, what's going to happen in the real world, as opposed to just, like I said, kind of the basic, uh, whether it's a nutrition textbook or some of those conventional, well, here's your diet plan. Follow this at the end of the book. That doesn't work. I think that this is like, like, and I know you get this too, but when we do Q and A's or we're just like talking about random topics and stuff like that, or even being able to do this, like in a casual manner, people will ask like, how do you know so much? How do you like, are you, how are you answer able to answer so many questions? And it's because when you understand like the mechanisms at the bottom, like there's just so many, it depends that you can kind of just keep going in all these different scenarios and be able to like teach and educate in so many different aspects. So, um, and, and you kind of started getting into it a little bit, but micros was the next one on our list to touch on. Um, and I think the obvious one is kind of what you said, when we're in a deficit, obviously we have less food coming in. If we have less food coming in, it's more likely that we're going to experience micronutrient deficiencies, but are there anything that, uh, is there like a, a strategy used in the book or like things that you can like put out for people to be looking out for? Cause a lot of people will say, there's so many vitamins and minerals. What do I need to be worrying about here? Should I just supplement them? Should I be changing my food choices? Are there some that are more important than others for the metabolism? Um, how are you going about teaching that in the book? So I talk about the pros and cons of different diet styles specifically. So understanding if I make the choice to be vegan, I need to consider B12. I need to consider vitamin D, omega-3s, uh, iron, especially, uh, because the vegan diet is not going to have you know uh, heme iron. 
So we need to think about, okay, what is my diet style of choice? Is that impacting my micros? But yes, also the calorie restriction, keto, gluten-free, dairy-free, paleo, all of those are going to present unique nutritional deficiencies. So I essentially walk through each one of those and what deficiencies they would present based on uh, the decision to follow that diet. So first we have to understand, uh, yes, energy availability will impact micros simply because the food that we eat contains those things. And unless you're being very, very diligent on a lower calorie diet about getting those micros in, you may need to supplement in order to ensure that you don't have any nutritional gaps there. But because of the rise of popular diet styles and all the dogma on Instagram and YouTube and Netflix and the things that we see, you have to realize that, you know, each nutritional decision is not without consequence. It may create or expose you to this blind spot. So a lot of people, you know, talk about eliminating gluten or eliminating dairy. Well, if, you know, as much as people argue about dairy and gut health, you could say, well, dairy contains calcium, calcium binds to oxalate in the gut. You know, you could, you can like kind of play both sides here. So you understand the role of like, well, if I'm not getting that micronutrient, do I need to consume maybe a green leafy vegetable or something that contains this? Do I need to look for a non-animal source of this? Do, maybe do I need to consume an animal source with bones? or, you know, something that's going to back, you know, backfill that calcium. And that's where we can begin to have a more educated conversation is realizing like, yes, I can figure out this diet cell. If I want to be keto or vegan or carnivore or paleo or, you know, gluten dairy free, that's fine. But there's going to be things that happen as a result of that. So the micro section is really just creating awareness around those dietary decisions. And then, Hey, here are some foods that contain those nutrients or, you know, get a good quality supplement. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense, man. I think that's why it's like a balanced approach typically works well, but uh, even that is, it, it gets tough when you're in a deficit, of course, but um, I've experimented with, uh, and I think this is good for people to know, but I've experimented with a low fat, like really low, lower fat than I've ever gone. And I've literally experimental. I'm like, let me just see at what point do I start feeling like shit? And people got to remember a big part of it is if you're in a deficit, it's going to happen way sooner. So you got to go really, really low fat at maintenance to be able to feel that way. But the point I'm trying to make is with a lower fat approach, I had to get really like nitty gritty with the smallest things because I had to make sure I got the essentials in there still. And I have less fat in my diet to be flexible with beforehand. It's really right. easy to still take all my fish oil and get the different types of fats that I need in my diet. But when you're, when your fat content is really small, you have to really worry about that, which happens to people when they're in a deficit. But if you're not in a deficit and you are using a paleo or a carnivore or a vegan, that's where, like you said, now we're chopping off categories and we have to really think granular about it. And and not even just people following those labels. I think it's important. And, and also these nutritional deficiencies, it's important to let everybody know, aside from the deficit, if you are overweight, if you're obese, if you have more body fat, that's going to put you at risk for deficiencies as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, being elderly, being, um, you know, if you're trying to conceive or you're pregnant or breastfeeding, those, you know, that can play a role in terms of certain deficiencies. So we have to understand kind of the state or season of life. You know, elderly individuals have lower levels of stomach acid, so that can impact nutrient absorption. Uh, overweight individuals typically have higher sort of levels of inflammation, kind of that chronic or uh, systemic low-grade inflammation going on all the time that impacts nutrient status. So it's really happening on both sides, both in the deficit um, and also not in the deficit. If you are uh, ending up in more of a overweight or insulin resistant state, have more body fat, but then even individuals who maybe aren't following a diet that has a label, like you're like, oh, well, I still, you know, I, I'm not, 
I'm not a uh, paleo. I still have grain. Let's say I have oatmeal or whatever, but then they're having like cauliflower rice as like their main vegetable, quote unquote. Right. And it's like made from the stock of cauliflower. They don't have a ton of variety there. I still think there's people who are following like your conventional fitness routine and doing things to volume hack their meals and adhere to the deficit and put that in. And I don't know that that's great for micronutrition or gut health as well. Um, or, you know, I, I know you've been in this situation because I, I know your preps, but where it's like teaspoon of peanut butter in the meal, right? It's like, everything's like peanut butter is the fat source throughout. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's important to bring attention to too, because, you know, even recently over the past couple of years, I've been, I got, you know, a few DMS here and there hopped on different consulting calls for very high level athletes. And even people who are trying to get on the Olympia stage. And it's like, you look at these, these meals and I'm like, there's no, there's no micros and your lab work is atrocious, you know, and that that's, you know, not even accounting for some of the other variables, um, or performance enhancing drugs, but just simply based on micronutrition, it's like, it's bad. And so I think we need to, as an industry acknowledge that like, yes, we are going to potentially restrict energy for physique goals, or maybe we're going to add it for muscle building or whatever. Uh, but this is a super important part that can impact insulin sensitivity, gut health, um, thyroid health and you know just your quality of life as well i think it's the it's the pendulum swinging back a little bit too you know because like for it it goes from it's just it's like nutrient timing and protein right after your workout to no it's just calories nutrient time doesn't matter to like okay it kind of matters just hit your calories to wait wait whole foods are really good it like it always kind of goes back and forth and i think the people that understand it's in the middle. Like it all matters. It's just to what degree and at what time. And like you said, the what season of life and what state yeah. are you in? Does each one matter more than the other? Um, it, it's, it's a collage of things, you know? So uh, moving, moving into the next one I had written down was nutrient timing. I don't know if you have a section on nutrient timing, but this is always something people ask about, obviously ever since the whole like stroke metabolism thing back in the day. Um, and then that got squashed. And then now uh, with, I mean, it's been a couple of years, chrononutrition started getting studied and they showed some favorability with timing nutrients specifically, but what impact does meal timing, nutrient timing have on the metabolism and in what scenarios is that applicable? Yeah. So meal timing can be especially helpful, you know, if you're having GI issues or maybe you're in a situation where you literally were eating breakfast as soon as you woke up and you were eating a meal right before you went to bed and maybe you slept like seven hours and that was the only time you weren't eating. I definitely think we can pull back on that and extend your fasting window just for, you know, some overall um, health benefits and just the fact that you're not digesting food all the time. So really time restriction in our eating or chrononutrition or peri-workout, kind of, all of those are tools. And I very much agree with Cody on that, that there's some situational application to where maybe for an athlete, that pre and post-workout meal, if I'm training twice a day becomes way more important than someone who's only getting to the gym twice a week because, you know, maybe they have a newborn at home or something. Right. So, you know, there's going to be some uh, different contexts where we're applying these. I think the timing of our foods can be helpful for both blood sugar regulation and gut health, uh, especially if we've been consuming them super close together. So what we've seen is some of the folks who maybe are having those six or seven meals a day, it's not super great for your digestion because you're always pushing food into the system all the time. Uh, in terms of folks who don't have appropriate space at the bookends, uh, eating that meal like right before sleep may not be the best for your sleep quality, waking up, you know, slamming food right away. Uh, we now kind of are, you know, instantly in this process. So I like for folks to, you know, find an approach that works for you, but understand that if you're struggling with particular issues, like maybe falling asleep or feeling super full or, um, you know, maybe struggling with your blood sugar, feeling tired after meals, that's where we can look at meal timing, meal spacing. I don't really 
spend a lot, you know, because I was trying to keep this under like 200 pages. The idea was like, this is a consumer friendly Amazon book, you know, that's not like 400 pages long. So I did not spend a ton of time on chrononutrition and time-restricted eating. I referenced a few things like, hey, if you're interested in this, you know, here's a researcher that looks all at circadian eating and diurnal rhythm, you know, follow this for a greater adventure down this rabbit hole. Um, so you can acknowledge its importance, but I don't know that it's necessarily your like lowest hanging fruit for like 80% of people. Uh, but there, there are folks who enjoy it and it helps them achieve success in other areas. So by all means, follow it. And then there's certain populations like athletes where it's like, yeah, I'm going to pay attention to the timing of your food because it's going to impact your performance in the gym or on the field or whatever the case may be. So definitely going to be certain areas where I think there's some merit to it. Uh, but once again, we have to think of the audience and the avatar that we're talking to when we, when we start to talk about food timing, nutrient timing and corona nutrition. Love it. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly how, how I would explain it and coach it as well. The next one is stress. And we've kind of touched on this throughout the entire podcast already. So it's obviously an important one. Um, but just, uh, just a good, almost like in a nutshell for people listening to understand why stress impacts your metabolism and, and what we should be doing with our stress or how we should be trying to manage our stress to positively affect our metabolism. Right. So obviously if you're stressed out, it can impact your nutritional decisions. That doesn't happen for everyone, but for some people, if they're stressed, it's going to impact their ability to adhere to their program. Uh, stress naturally will impact sleep because if you have sympathetic activation, that's literally the opposite of parasympathetic activity. So sympathetic, think of that fight or flight or alertness response. If you're like super awake and wired and jolted and like aggravated about something, it's not going to be great for restoration, recovery, and all the things we need for ideal body composition, muscle building, and fat loss. You know, when we are stressed, cortisol has a number of different mechanisms and uh, sort of communication with other hormones in the body. So not only does it impact our reproductive hormones, it impacts thyroid conversion. And we also have something that if we really push this, uh, you know, stress wagon far enough, we end up with something called cortisol-induced insulin resistance, can lead to preferential visceral fat deposition, just things that are not great for our overall health both cardiometabolic health and your physique goals, but really, really not uh, beneficial for anyone with any type of health goal whatsoever. So, you know, stress is showing up in it's sort of, you know, there's some physiological issues there. Uh, but also when we see when folks are stressed out, there's kind of this uh, rumination that's happening, right? They're constantly sort of fixating on this thing. So a lot of the stress management strategies that I mentioned are really getting out of rumination mode. So it could be a creative therapy like art or music. Uh, it could be going for a nature walk, time with loved ones, community, connection. There's not one stress management approach for everyone. It's figuring out what you enjoy and then uh, pursuing that activity as a way to bring you back into the present moment. You're not anxious about the future. You're not worried and stressed about the past. You just come back into the present. So, so for some people, that's art. For other people, it's music. Um, other people, it's time with pets. You know, There's some really amazing studies where it's like, you know, they should hook you up to like a a uh, little device, Cody, and be like, when Bubba's around, like, does does Cody's cortisol <laughs> go up or down? Um, so there's some really cool things that we need to consider when it comes to stress. But I break down stress in a couple different ways in the book. I'm I'm not only talking about perceived stress because I think a lot of people think about that stressful email from their boss or rush hour traffic or like I got to get my kid to soccer practice. And stress is is more than just perceived stress. So I kind of discuss a few other areas. So we have circadian stress, which is basically when my diurnal rhythm or circadian rhythm is off, basically my biological clock, which is usually from jet lag, social jet lag, um, you know, impaired sleep quality and things like that. Inflammatory stress, which could be, you know, GI health. It could be a number of different things. 
And then we have uh, glycemic stress, which is really more of an issue pertaining to blood sugar regulation. So let's say someone is following that standard American diet, consuming too many calories. When we're approaching insulin resistance, that becomes a very significant stressor on the body. And so stress, yes, perceived stress matters. And it does sort of have this ripple effect into other areas in terms of you know hormones and fat loss and nutritional decisions and sleep. Uh, but really, if I had to kind of pull back the curtain and talk about the biggest things. I think when you're stressed, it's naturally going to impact your sleep. Sleep is a super important part of transformation and helps you be more resilient in the days that follow. So that's one of the biggest things. But then we also have these other three or four sort of subtypes or areas of stress that are going to play a role uh, in terms of your overall transformation. So if that's your gut health, you know, that's going to impact uh, things like thyroid hormone function, obviously your quality of life. And just the fact that your your gut is so integral to your your function as a human being, when we have things like intestinal permeability or dysbiosis, like that literally le leads to signaling uh, across the body that that is going on. And then, you know, your body sort of has to reconcile the fact that that is going on. So I think a discussion of metabolism and nutrition without those things, um, you know, wouldn't be complete. I agree. Yeah, I think uh, stress is... Uh it's definitely a can of worms. Like I, I think there's just so many, there's there's so many different types of stress. There's so many ways to handle stress. There's so many uh, effects that happen from stress. And then also there's another side of the conversation where stress can be good because if we need to apply stress to create said adaptation that we are after, that's a different story. So I think people get kind of confused with that one. And then obviously too, handling it is just easier said than done. Like if we're like, well, just, you know, we just got to manage it. And people are like, oh yeah, that's easy to say. But I think that the way you describe it, where it's like, there's so many different ways and we're really just looking for the tool that matches with our personality type and our lifestyle best is super helpful because most people will say, use this 10 step meditation process. And like, this is the thing. Right. And if somebody just doesn't give a fuck about meditating and it's not the thing that's going to help them, it's not going to do anything. It actually might just create more anxiety because they're sitting there trying to meditate, but they can't. And then they feel like a failure. Well, I know? think that's something you've changed over the years is I remember a few years ago, like your morning routines and stuff were very mm -hmm. different versus yeah. like just getting up and working and doing stuff. And I was kind of watching from far and then like being friends with you, it's cool. Cause I get to kind of like see the evolution. And then, you know, I know you'll go on walks with Blakely and you obviously have Bubba around and like, so you have sort of these certain built in things for those of you who know, Cody, um, and, and I'm similar, like I enjoy going for walks. Um, I'm a big dog guy and, you know, I also like music, but if you ask me to paint or like do art or something as like quote unquote creative therapy for stress management, I'd probably be frustrated. Like I'd be annoyed. Yeah. <laughs> that's not what I want to do. I would be like, let me, let me do my work. I need to go back to what I'm actually doing. So that's where it's like the individualization, just like you would customize someone's macros. We shouldn't just assign. I see a lot of coaches where it's like, well, you should do meditation and breath work because like, I think it's good. And it's like, no, well, like what actually brings this person some joy in their life and mm -hmm. like resonates with their personality or for, for adults, you know, most, most of us listening to this, um, you know, it was like, what did you like to do before you were an adult with responsibilities and like kids and, 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 you know, for some people that was a coloring book for other people it was like, you played guitar or, um, you know, you were into hiking or you did things with your friends or community, or maybe you were in a bowling league, you know, I don't, I don't know. So it's like having those conversations with clients to figure out what their, uh, you know, their go-to thing is. And then, you know, I've had clients where it's like, they do a couple individual activities for stress management. And then they also do things where it's like, Hey, I'm going to go like get my nails done with a friend because that's community and connection. But it's also like, Hey, I'm not, I'm not working. I'm getting out of that kind of rumination mode or whatever it is that they're fixated on. So that's like, 
some of the uh, basic stress management practices, because stress is obviously, you know, perceived stress is going to have ripple effects. So when I mentioned like insulin resistance, other things, you know, that has ripple effects into the gut health and inflammatory aspect. It has ripple effects in blood sugar because cortisol, you know, plays a role in blood sugar regulation. Um, and then we also have, uh, I mentioned circadian stress as well. Obviously, if you're super stressed out, you're probably not falling asleep right away. So stress management is the cornerstone, but then let's say you are having GI issues. Well, we need to make nutritional decisions that are actually going to alleviate stress in that area of your body because that is holding back, you know, part of your transformation. So it's just understanding those different tools and that like, Hey, yes, you can go for a nature walk, but like if this food is bothering you and literally causing you to like have terrible bowel movements or constipation or bloating, it's like, we need to change the food. It's like, yeah, the, the nature walk helps, but it's like, we still need to get to the, like the root cause of the problem. Yeah. hundred percent agree. I, I love the way you, you put that with the meditation too. I think too many people focus on the, the process and not like what they're even meditating for. And if you figure out what you're meditating for, you can find many different ways to do it. Like I have like in my checkbox for my routine now, it doesn't say meditate, it says create space. Because for me, that means many different things. It just depends on the weather. It depends on if I feel like smoking a cigar tonight, if I feel like, you know what I mean? Like it, what is the thing that I'm going to do just to separate myself with Blakely to do something or by myself if that's what I need? It's very rarely actually me sitting down and meditating. There's nothing wrong with that, but... um and some people love that. So it's yeah. like, if that's you do that exactly. is what we're saying. It's just that there's this like following what's trendy on Instagram because you saw someone else meditate. Mm -hmm. doesn't mean you need to meditate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. hundred um, percent. Okay. So I want to get into pulse before we wrap things up, because I think that um, one, I just, I appreciate your ability to put together acronyms. This is the, the, well, I guess, okay. So shreds is obviously one, the M's wouldn't be one. That's just, I think, cause in the book there's three P's and then there's five M's. You said, yeah. So P3 model has been around for like, that's that, that one's like antiquated at this point. Right. Uh, but yeah, P3 is in the book. So essentially our, uh, perceptions and practices precede our physical goals. So just think about like your basic behaviors, the way you view the world. Um, you know, and I kind of add physiology in there as well. So really it, it probably should have been four P's, but Hey, younger me was not as seasoned and as wise as <laughs> current me. So you live in, you live, you live and you learn, I guess. Um, in terms of the five M's, yes, that is in the book. And then pulse is my method for, because as I started working with more health professionals, I was like, one of the most important parts of onboarding is a good intake form with good questions. And I was like, also other individuals would benefit from this as well. So just to run through it quickly, uh, while we have the time, it's physical goals and objectives, understanding key motivators lifestyle factors. So that would be like, who cooks the meals? Who goes to the grocery store? Like, what is your work like? What is your schedule like? Do you have gym access? Um, and then we have S for shreds. So that's biofeedback, sleep, hunger, recovery, energy, digestion, and stress. Uh, that's kind of my way of helping clients stay in tune with their body and, you know, markers of health or dysfunction. And then E is expectations. And so whether you are sort of self-coaching or in your own transformation or you're working with a health professional, I created the E because generally in these relationships, right, it's usually either like unfulfilled expectations or miscommunication where things go awry. And so in the intake form, I think if you don't establish expectations early on, what is expected of the client, what's expected of the coach, or just if you're, if you're having an honest conversation with yourself and building self-awareness, like what are your expectations for execution on this given nutrition program or exercise program? Super, super important. So Pulse is basically uh, part of the self-assessment part of the book. 
and helping people have uh, some tools and strategies for not only monitoring their progress, but determining, am I ready for this diet in the first place? Because if we are going to make that decision, if we are going to go into a deficit or change our training program, we need to do an audit. We need to do a bit of an intake. And part of really good coaching starts with asking good questions and having a good intake form. And so that's where Pulse came from, was really just trying to, how do I help other professionals understand like the starting grounds, like even before we do anything else, like we have to do this. And that's really where uh, Pulse came from is just kind of breaking through what I thought was some of the most important parts. And naturally those questions lead to other questions with, you know, follow, follow up questions for uh, intake and then future check-ins. So like we were talking about at the beginning, there's uh, a lot of these types of books on these types of topics. There's always like a diet at the end or something like that. Um, do you have like a framework that people leave with or is Pulse the framework? It's kind of like, let me give you the the foundation. Let me teach you the mechanisms of what's going on with your metabolism. And then here's Pulse to allow you to kind of monitor it and do the right things with your diet. Or is there another framework? It's kind of broken up into like, this is the explanation and science of metabolism. And then here are some tools for managing metabolism. And then I kind of break it into like, if you're a beginner and you were just going to start this, right? probably like walks, sleeping, protein intake, hydration. Like I give people big rocks depending on where they're at in their journey. So I kind of do like a greenhorn beginner and intermediate and advanced and like how different applications of the five M's or of the things we discuss in the application section of the book, how they're applying the, the tools provided. So I don't do a meal plan. I actually even say in the first chapter, I'm like, you're, just stop reading this. If you like want that at the end, like I'm not the book for you. Um, so at the end, it really is more of like, cause I, I also talk about, you know, made for movement. And essentially I, I believe for a lot of individuals like movement as medicine, especially when 88% of Americans are like metabolically unhealthy. So, you know, I talk about resistance training and walking. So really that last piece is how are we taking these nutritional strategies as well as the lifestyle strategies and interventions and combining it with a movement approach that is going to help us from a metabolic health perspective over a longer time horizon. So I, I give three examples and they're really just meant to be examples that can be adapted. Um, it was the, honestly, it's probably one of the hardest parts of the book because I don't like putting something on paper that like someone's going to read. And like, if they follow it to a T and it's not like perfectly for, like that, that could like, you know, kind of drive me nuts to an extent, but I was like, Hey, everybody could benefit from getting outside and getting some steps, you know, and getting a little bit more sleep. So I tried to make it more concrete. I do put some parameters around it in terms of measurements or, Hey, maybe you start off and you're not tracking your food. Um, you know, maybe you're just going to start off with some movement or, Hey, just go for a walk after two meals, you know, or something like that. So I try to create very tangible action oriented, like metric driven things that can be monitored over time. But you know, it was super hard to, cause, cause I didn't want to do the meal plan thing, but I also wanted people to have some actual strategies to take things like the five M's. What does that actually look like? And then, you know, take things like considering, you know, their, their physiology and their physical goals, but, uh, really pulse. And then, uh, essentially I have this like transformation toolkit, which runs through a whole bunch of things from non-exercise activity, sleep, um, number of other factors. And you're basically applying those on a regular basis. And my, my goal for readers is if they're not doing those to just start with like two things. So, uh, if you're in the beginner section, there's a list of a number of things that you could do that would improve your health. And I'm just like, just literally pick like one or two and do that this week. That's all you have to do. Um, so that was kind of my approach, still a little unsettled about it, but I think it was the best way to tackle a very difficult nuanced topic and still give people a bit of, you know, uh, actions that they could take away 
after reading. Yeah. I mean, shit, man. I think that we covered quite a bit in this podcast alone. So I think there's going to be, um, I think we did enough without causing information overwhelm. So if you want that, go get the book, except you'll be able to read it at a pace that allows it to not be overwhelming, which is the nice part about it. Um, but as this airs, I think it either is out right now or it's coming out next week. Either way, November 1st is the launch day, correct? Yes. Okay. We're cool. planning November 1st. That'll be on Amazon first. And we are going to do a special during the first week. Um, I'm going to basically price the Kindle version as low as Jeff Bezos will allow me to price it. I already worked that out with my publisher. So you guys can get uh, really easy access to a digital copy. It'll probably either be like, you know, $1.99 or 99 cents, basically as close to free as I can make it. Just you know, Jeff's got to get his cut. Um, but then if you want, if you're more like paperback or, or you want a hardcover, that'll be out at the same time. Um, obviously there's some printing costs that go into that, but that'll launch, um, same exact time. And I'll be doing some, some extra special things for the book and you can learn more about it at metabolismmadesimple.com. And then naturally on all of my different handles. So I'm similar science on Instagram podcast and similar science.com. Um, but the book metabolism made simple drops November 1st, 2022. If this comes out and it hasn't dropped, something went terribly wrong and I probably need to practice my own stress management strategies that I discussed <laughs> with Cody today in the podcast. I see no reason why this will not, uh, that that will happen, man. You are pretty organized in on top of things. So um, I'm thinking uh, that it'll probably be out. I think the best thing for us to do is to, to launch this. I'm going to say it right now, November 2nd. That way when you're listening to this, it's already fucking out. It's already as cheap as possible, either 99 cents or $1.99. Um, and that means that you can go get it. So like literally click the link in the description, go grab your copy. Um, I have one cause I'm special and I got it ahead of time. Um, I'm still going to buy the hard copy cause I'm a hard copy guy, but, um, going through it, I, I can't stress enough to the listeners, whether you are a coach, you're a new coach, you're a seasoned coach like myself, who's been in this for a long time, uh, or you're somebody who's just really into training and nutrition, which if you're listening to this podcast, you're one of those three people. It's guaranteed. Um, this this really is going to be a great book for you because it is the only book that covers the metabolism in this way. So I'm excited to have you on here right when it's coming out, man, so people can grab it. Um, it's going to be on my Amazon list that you guys all have access to, and that's always in the description of the podcast so you can see all my books that I get. Um, but nonetheless, go grab a copy. Um, Sam, thank you for coming on, man. We already dropped all your links, so we'll put those in the description. And uh, until next time, because I'm sure there'll be a next time, I appreciate your time, bro. Thanks, Cody.